All right, you guys can go ahead and grab your Bibles if you have them, uh, and, and go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8. Uh, if you've been with us over the past few months, hopefully you know by now that we've been preaching a series through uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, and so we're continuing to do that just until we're finished, so it could be another couple weeks. Um, so Romans 8, uh, if you don't have a Bible and need one, or would like one, raise your hand, uh, and somebody will bring you one, will bring you one from the back. Uh, that's something we value here at Trinoth. We value God's word. We value the, the preaching of it. We value uh, seeing it and seeing it for ourselves as it's being uh, taught from the front. And so I'll just encourage you to follow along as we do this. Um, also, if you don't have a Bible of your own and you would like one or need one, uh, you can grab one of those red ones. Keep that for yourself. That's our gift to you. We value personal Bible reading. Um, not just hearing it read at church, but reading it on a daily basis in our daily lives. Uh, so Romans chapter 8. Uh, while you're turning there, um, many of you probably already know this, but Pastor Rex and his family are on vacation this week. Uh, and he'll be gone next week as well, so you're stuck with me for the next two weeks. Um, but in the meantime, just keep Rex and his family in your prayers. Uh, not only for their safety, but just that it would be a restful time uh, and refreshing for him. Uh, I also know that if you talk to him, uh, you know his boys are getting older, so the family vacations are becoming uh, fewer and farther between. Uh, and so they might not have many family vacations left as the boys get older, so just pray that it would be a good one and restful for them. Uh, but Romans chapter 8. Um, what I want to do really quick is I want to rehash what the material that was covered last week and the week before, because that's going to lead us into this week and next week. All right, so in the last two weeks, Pastor Rex has really covered verses uh, 17 through 25. And so I'm not going to read those, but if you, if you look at Romans 8, 17 through 25, you'll notice that Paul, who, who's writing this, is talking a lot about suffering and a lot about the future glory. And so what you'll notice if you're reading this passage is that it's almost like he's alternating back and forth. He'll talk about our sufferings in our present time, and then he'll talk about the future glory that's yet to come. He'll talk about the futility of all creation, but then how all of creation is eagerly awaiting uh, its new birth. He'll talk about uh, our pains of childbirth that we suffer now, but the hope for the redemption of our bodies that we have. Right, and so he goes back and forth. And this is what Rax preached about the last two weeks, about our suffering in the, in the present time, and then our future glory. So if you remember last week, he held up that... A rope that extended almost wall to wall, and he put that little piece of tape right in the middle, and he said that this little piece of tape is almost like our current sufferings in light of the eternal weight of glory that's awaiting us. Uh, so that's what has been talked about the last couple of weeks, and that's what uh, Romans eight seventeen through 25 is about. And I don't know about you, but when I read Romans eight seventeen through 25, I find myself identifying deeply with everything that Paul writes. Right? So I hear him write about the, the sufferings of this present time, and I can identify deeply with that, not only because I feel that and see it in my life, but because I see it and I feel it in the lives of those around me. I get the prayer emails from Rhonda, and I hear about what's going on in our church, and I just feel the burden of suffering. Right? I know what's going on in our community, and I feel the burden of it. I see the futility of the creation all around us. And so when Paul writes that, I, I find myself agreeing with him because I'm like, yes, I, I see it. I feel it. 
Right? And I also identify with the hope that he's talking about. Because when I look around and see uh, the suffering that I do and the, and the futility that I see, I have that hope for eternal glory. And part of me just longs, Jesus, come back and just <laughs> make all things new and make it all right. And so I identify deeply with it. However, when I get to verses 24 and 25, I read this. Paul writes, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm with Paul the whole time. I'm getting excited about the future hope he's talking about. And then he says that, and I'm kind of like, are you serious? He's telling us all about this hope of glory. Then he says, but we can't see it, and we have to wait for it with patience. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, show it to me now. I'm in the middle of all this suffering. Just show me this hope. Let me see it now. Don't tell me to be patient. (laughs) Give it to me right now. And so I read that, and I start finding myself doubting and asking questions like, well, I, I can't see it. I'm supposed to be patient for it. What if I don't attain it? What if I fail to reach the glory that he's talking about? What if I'm sitting here in the middle of all this suffering and all this pain, I'm holding out this hope for my future glory, but somewhere along the line something goes wrong and I fail and I I fail to get there. And I don't get that hope of glory that he's talking about. And so I feel that, that doubt as I read verses 24 and 25. I hope for what we do not see and we wait for that patiently. But but Paul isn't going to leave his readers hanging, and he's not going to leave us hanging either. Because in the next five verses, 26 through 30, he's going to give us uh, some stuff that's going to give us an assurance of that hope uh, beyond anything that we could ever imagine. So it's almost like in verses 18 through 25, he just like lit a little flame of hope in us. And so after reading 18 through 25, we just have this little flame of hope burning in us, even in the difficult times. But in the next five verses, 26 through 30, he's essentially going to throw gasoline on that fire. So that little flame goes from just a little flicker of hope to a roaring and burning fire that's going to devour any doubt that stands in its path. And so verses 26 through 30 are some of the most hopeful verses in all of Scripture. And they're going to show us why our hope is such a sure thing And they should enable us to be able to stand in the face of any suffering and any doubt. And so again, next two weeks, while you're stuck with me, we're at 26 through 30. That's our our passage. Really, this week and next week is almost going to be like one big sermon, but just broken up into two weeks. So a little foreshadowing at the end of today, I'm going to kind of leave you hanging with a question that's going to lead into next week. Um, But 26 through 30 today, there will be some overlap. But again, it's all basically one sermon on that passage. All right, so that's 18 through 25. Paul's talking about suffering and glory. And starting in verse 26, let's see what he says that's going to stoke the fires of our hope. Verse 26 says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. That's today's passage. Let's start by looking at verse 26. All right, look at the first phrase in there where he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. All right, so we're going to just walk through, straight through this and just talk about what everything means and break it down. Then we'll come back to application at the end. All right, so likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Look first at the word weakness. All right, this word weakness refers to just the general weakness and, and frailty that we have as human beings. All right, so let's go, go, going back to beginning at creation, the book of Genesis, God creates the world, creates the universe, then creates mankind as the peak of his creation and as his image bearers. And he creates us so that we have no weakness about us. All right, we're mentally sharp, physically strong, we're emotionally connective, we're spiritually wise and spiritually discerning. Our bodies and our souls are not liable to death and decay like they now are. So we were intended to have perfect relationship with the Lord, perfect relationship with others, but we know Genesis 3, sin enters the world and it messes everything up, breaks everything down, and now we have this weakness about us. So that sin has touched and it's tainted every facet of our being, our mind, our body, our soul, our emotions, the way we connect with God, the way we connect with others, it's touched everything. And so now we have this general weakness and frailty about us. And so when he says weakness, that's what he has in mind. And one of the primary ways this weakness affects us, he says, is in our not knowing what to pray for as we ought. That's what he says next, verse 26. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, let's look at that phrase, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't know anything about prayer. Right? It doesn't mean that we're, when it comes to prayer, we're just absolutely clueless, and we should just throw up our hands because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. All right? we, we know a great deal about prayer. We can study what God has revealed to us in his word, and we can learn a great deal. We can look at how Jesus prayed, and we can learn how to pray. We can learn from older uh, more mature believers how to pray. Right? And so there are a lot of times that we do know how to pray, and there are a lot of times that we do know what to pray for. And so he's not necessarily saying that we just don't know anything when it comes to prayer. Right? So if you look at, but if you look at the surrounding context in Romans 8, so look at what comes before verse 26 and look at what comes after it. When he says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, I think he has in mind, we don't know what to pray for as we ought when it comes to our suffering. So, remember, verse, the previous seven or eight verses, he's talking all about suffering and the, the hope of future glory. And now he leads into this, verse 26. How is it connected? Well, when you suffer, what do you pray for? Or how do you know what to pray for? I don't know about you, but when I'm faced with suffering, I often feel confused. What what do I pray for? (laughs) Do I just pray for deliverance or healing? Lord, just help me. Just get me out of this, whatever it might be. Remove this from me. Take it away. Do I pray for God's will to be done? Regardless, do I pray for this suffering to remain on me? What, 
what do I pray for? Do I pray for revenge or justice? Do God's wrath to come down? Do I? Do you see what I mean? That, I mean, that's how I feel when I'm in the middle of suffering. I'm sure some of you feel the same way. That there are times you're walking through something and you don't even know what to pray for as you are. You just, I don't know. And that's our weakness in us. We, we fail to discern what we should be praying for in those times of suffering. And so I think this is what Paul means when he says that we don't know what to pray for as we are. We don't know God's will for us, and we don't know what's best for us when circumstances arise in our earthly existence. We don't know what to pray for as we are. And this is due to our weakness. Now remember, so the book of Romans is written by a guy named Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus in the first century. He wrote a number of other books in the New Testament as well. So when he writes this in Romans 8, He's not writing this as somebody who doesn't know anything about suffering. He's not just trying to write some profound theological statement. He's writing to real people in a real time. He's had real experience with this. And through that, he's learned these theological statements and how they apply to his given situation. And so that's what he's writing to these people. And so when he's writing about suffering and about not knowing what to pray for and the Spirit helping us in our weakness, he knows from experience. He's been, not only has he been given the revelation, but he's seen it, he's felt it in his life. So and I want to show you an example of that. If you turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. So it's just a little bit over to the right towards the back of the Bible. I would keep a finger in Romans 8 because we're going to be right back there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So 2 Corinthians, this is another letter written by the same guy, Paul, just to a different group of people. And so he's going to write something here that I think relates to what he, we just read in Romans chapter 8. So 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the, of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So what Paul is saying there is that he, basically God gave Paul these revelations. He revealed things to him, and they were so great that Paul might have become conceited. Because he, he was given these revelations. No one else was, but Paul was. And so he might have become conceited. But Paul says, the Lord gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me from becoming conceited. All right, so we don't know what this thorn was. A lot of people will speculate, but we don't know what it was. But apparently it was some sort of suffering, and it was probably less than pleasant. You think about what a thorn in the flesh would feel like. It wouldn't be a fun experience. And so whatever Paul is experiencing here, he's he's comparing it to having a thorn stuck in his flesh. Now look at verse 8. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. All right, so Paul's given this thorn, this, this suffering, and he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. All right, Paul begged God to take this suffering away. He begged him, take, remove this from me. All right, deliver me from this. All right, now look, what's God's response? Look at verse 9. But he said to me, this is God speaking, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. All right, Paul's given this suffering to keep him from becoming conceited. He begs God to take it away, and what does God say, essentially? No. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God refused to take Paul's suffering away in this instance. Paul prayed for the wrong thing. Did you catch that? He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away. But the Lord essentially says, no. Paul prayed for the wrong thing. He didn't know what to pray for as he ought. Suffering came upon him. Probably confused, just like we are, like, Lord, what is going on here? What is this? How do I deal with this? Just take it away. He says three times, he begs God, take it away. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Was this cruel of God? Certainly not. Right? He had his plans for Paul, and these plans were far better than Paul's own plans for himself. Right? But Paul, because of his, his weakness as a human being, like we just talked about, because of that weakness, he didn't understand God's will for him, and all he wanted was for the thorn to be taken away, but God refused. And so in the same way, we may suffer, we may plead with God to take it away, and he may or may not. And we may or may not know what to pray for in any given situation. But ultimately, God has a purpose for the suffering in mind, and he also has our best interest in mind, just like he did for Paul in this instance. All right, go ahead and turn back to Romans 8. So again, that's an example where Paul, he's experienced this. He's not writing as somebody who's naive about suffering. He's not writing as somebody who's naive about what he's writing in Romans 8. He knows it. He's experienced it. That was, Second Corinthians was written before the book of Romans. He experienced that, and now he's writing it. And so he knows what it's like to not know what to pray for in his weakness. Let's go on in Romans eight twenty six though. So he says, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. If we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So what he's saying is that in our, in our weakness, in our inability to know God's will for us, in our inability to know what to pray for as we ought, the Holy Spirit helps us by interceding or praying for us with groanings too deep for words. And some of you are probably thinking, that sounds nice, and it sounds helpful, but what on earth does that even mean? Right, for the Holy Spirit to intercede for me with groanings too deep for words. And I think Paul tells us what it means in the very next verse, 27. And so let's look at that and see what he says about it. Verse 27 says this, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All right, look at the first part. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. All right? God, he, he searches our hearts. Our God is omniscient. He is all-knowing, knows all things about us, knows all things past, present, and future. And so he sees our hearts. He doesn't just hear the words that come out of our mouths or see our actions. He sees our motives. He sees our intentions. He sees our feelings. He sees what our hearts are longing for. He sees the groanings of our heart. 
Right? So God who searches all things, he sees us. Not just our actions, doesn't just hear the words that come out of our mouths. He sees every part of us. He knows our mind, he knows our hearts. And so when we pray to God, he doesn't just hear the words that come out of our mouths. He does. But he sees and hears more than that. When we pray, he sees our hearts. He sees our motives, our intentions, our thoughts, our feelings. And so when we pray, especially think of it in terms of of suffering here like we're talking about. So put yourself in this situation. You're you're suffering. You don't know what to pray for. And you're sitting there. You might be praying for something, deliverance or whatever it might be. But you don't exactly know what God's will is. You don't really know what to pray for as you are. And so will God hear my prayer? Will he respond as as he shouldn't? If I pray for the wrong thing, will he answer it with the wrong thing? And not give me what's ultimately best? Do you see all the confusion that can arise in our weakness? But he says that God who knows all things and searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we pray to God, especially in our suffering, he not only hears our words, but knowing all things, he looks into our hearts, he sees and he hears the wordless groanings that the Holy Spirit is creating in us from verse 26. All right, so he looks into our hearts and he sees and he hears these wordless groanings. Now, let's get a little bit technical here. What are these wordless groanings? Well, in verse 26, he says, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And in verse 27, he says, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All right, so obviously the, the Spirit intercedes in verse 27 corresponds with the verse, or the Spirit intercedes in verse 26. Us in verse 26 corresponds with saints in verse 27. So us being believers who have been uh, redeemed by the blood of Christ, we're the saints. And groanings too deep for words corresponds with according to the will of God. And so what are these deep and wordless groanings? They are according to the will of God. Does that make sense? All right, so these groanings, think of it this way. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And so in that time that we're praying, the Holy Spirit begins interceding for us, or we're praying to God the Father on our behalf with these groanings that are too deep for words. And these groanings that are too deep for words are according to the will of God, or they are in harmony with the will of God. Let me say it another way. We might be sitting there suffering, not knowing what to pray for, and the wrong words might come out of our mouths. And we may not know what's best for us. We may not know what God has for us in that given situation. However, in our weakness, in our confusion, the Holy Spirit who's living inside of us is working in our hearts to create these deep and wordless groanings for the right thing and the proper thing to be done. Right? The will of God in our lives to be accomplished for our good and for his glory. All right, so think about this in your own situation, in your suffering and in your affliction and in your, the futility of this fallen world. 
Right, Paul is trying to comfort us with these words. Right, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God with groanings too deep for words. All right, this should throw gasoline on the flame of our hope. All right, God has not abandoned us in our suffering. He hears us. He will not allow anything but the best thing to happen to us. All right, because the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf according to his will. And his will is ultimately what's best for us. Now, some of you may be asking the question, why is this good news? Why is it good news that God is going to ensure through his Holy Spirit that his will is always accomplished in my life? If we're being honest, we probably don't always want that, and we probably don't think that's good news as we're sitting here. All right, so why and how is that good news? All right, and this is why. Look at verse 28. This is what's going to bring these three verses together. All right, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Right. Verses 26 and 27 are good news precisely because God is working all things together for our good. And so, verse 26 says, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, especially in our times of suffering. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and that these groanings are according to the will of God, or they're in harmony with the will of God. And that's good news for us because verse 28 says God's will is that all things work together for our good. All right, so if you can picture the Godhead, the, the Trinity. Right, I, I think in my last sermon I talked about how uh, the plan of salvation is, is a, a Trinitarian salvation where God initiates it, God accomplishes it, and he, and he finishes it. And so God the Father, his role is his willing the salvation of his people. God the Son comes to earth and he accomplishes it in the flesh. The Holy Spirit then applies our salvation to us. And that's what we see in this passage here. That God the Father has willed our salvation. He's willed our ultimate good. He's willed our future glory, even in the face of suffering. Christ has accomplished our glory. He's now in glory, waiting for us to be caught up into the same glory. And now the Holy Spirit is inside of us, working with God the Father to ensure that all things are working together for our good, even when we don't pray for our ultimate good. All right, this is good news. That all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know what all things means in verse 28 when he says all things work together for our good? It means all things. Right? Suffering, pain, the good, the bad, the ugly. All things are working together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Right? And we know that that's us who are in Christ. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we are the saints. We are the ones who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit interceding for us before the Father according to his will, ensuring that all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the fun times, the not-so-fun times, the suffering, the pain, the horror, all things are working together for our 
ultimate good and for God's glory. All right, this is why verses 26 through 28 are good news. Right, and again, this should throw gasoline on the hope that we have of glory. It's going to be, like I said, this is going to be basically two sermons wrapped up, or one sermon broken down into two sermons. So it's going to be a little bit shorter today. I'll leave you hanging for next week. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we seek to close. So in closing, again, I just want to offer up a quick summary of what we covered in verses 26 through 28. All right, so verse 26, so because of our weakness as fallen human beings, we don't know what to pray for as we are, especially in times of suffering and of pain and, and of affliction and futility. All right, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness by creating in us deep and wordless groanings in our hearts for the will of God to be done. And God, who searches hearts and knows all things, sees our hearts, and he sees what the Holy Spirit is saying through those wordless groanings, and he is going to work to accomplish what the Holy Spirit is praying for us. And so the Spirit, creating these deep and wordless groanings in our hearts, intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God, always ensuring that the will of God is done for us. And we know that God's will for us is the best thing for us because he is working all things together for our good. And again, this should stoke the fire of our hope. God has not abandoned us in our affliction. He has not abandoned his people in their suffering. And he will not abandon his people in their suffering. Right? Romans 5 says, we have this hope of glory, and this hope will not put us to shame because the Holy Spirit has poured God's love into our hearts. Right? Ephesians 1 says, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. Right? The Holy Spirit is proof that we will attain our future hope of glory. And so when he says in Romans 8, 24 and 25, we don't see this hope and we have to wait for it with patience, we can wait for it with patience and we can hold out hope even in the face of suffering because God has sealed us by his Holy Spirit, ensuring that we will one day attain that eternal weight of glory. And so church, God has not abandoned you. He will not abandon you. God the Father and God the Spirit, who are in, as members of the Trinity, are both in perfect unison, right, at all times, working together for our ultimate good. So even though we can't see our hope, we wait for it with patience because we know this. And so my fellow saints, my fellow heirs of glory, take heart in your suffering, take heart in this fallen world heart in your affliction. God is good. Glory is coming. And we know that he has given us his Holy Spirit in us, not only to adopt us, make us his children, as Paul said earlier in Romans 8, but also to ensure that all things are working together for our ultimate good. Now, like I said, I'm going to end with one more question to leave you hanging for next week. It's kind of my pitch to get you all to come back. 
All right, so Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. My question is this, what is the good in verse 28? Right, how, how, how would we define that word good in that verse and what does it apply to? What does it mean? And that's what I'm gonna leave you hanging with. It's kind of like a, you had to get done watching a TV show and it ends with a cliffhanger. It's kind of that for next week. Right, but what is the good that God has for us? I can tell you this as a sneak preview. It is far better than anything we could imagine for ourselves. It's far better than anything we could comprehend. It's a much better and higher good than any good that we want for ourselves right now. And so when Paul says that the Holy Spirit is praying for us according to the will of God that all things work together for our ultimate good the good that he has in mind is far better than the good we have in mind and that's what we're going to see next week in verses 28 through 30 all right but so until then let's stand and let's go to the Lord in prayer some of us, even in our suffering right now, in pain right now, but knowing that as we pray in this very moment, the Holy Spirit will be helping us and interceding for his people according to the will of God. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we stand in awe of you this morning. That you would will our salvation, that you would send your son to accomplish our salvation, and that you would now give us your very spirit to live inside of us to adopt us as your children uh, to seal us for our inheritance to intercede for us with groanings too deep for words and to help us in our weakness and to ensure that all things are working together for our good and so Holy Spirit we trust that even now as we your people are praying that you are working in our hearts to stir up these deep and wordless groanings for your will to be done in our lives. We know that your will is our good and your glory. Father, I just pray for all of us now who are enduring difficult times and for those of us who are suffering. God, for those of us who might have a thorn in our flesh, wherever that thorn may be, Father God, we would plead with you right now just as Paul did, that you would take it away. That you would remove this thorn in our flesh, that you would deliver us from evil, that you would free us from this pain and suffering. But Lord, we also pray as Jesus did, knowing that your will is ultimately to be done. And so Lord, whether or not you choose to take this cup of suffering from us, trust in you. We trust that you will accomplish your will in our lives, that this is for our good and that this is for your glory. So God, help us to worship and sing to you now as a people who have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ and people who now have the Holy Spirit inside of us, giving us this unfading hope. We ask these things in the name of your Son.